Well, Father, we thank you. What an honour and a privilege to worship and to praise and to honour you. And you're worthy of all that honour and praise because, God, we are so thankful that you've made a way uh, that we could have a relationship with you. It's extraordinary, Father. And uh, this is why we give you thanks and honour and praise. And we thank you as well, great God, that that's just not for the elite or, or the, the, um, the small amount of people. It's not, it's for all people. And, uh, and uh, it's amazing, God. And we just thank you so much for all that you've done. Uh, we worship and honour you, great God. We love you so much. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. It is really good to have you here again online. And we've been talking about this over the last, really, couple of months at least. And uh, I do want to say a huge welcome to you. Whatever platform you're watching from, it is really, really good to have you here. Now, um, the exciting news is this, is that in just two weeks now, we are going to be meeting physically in person. Uh, that's right, we'll be able to talk to you in person, which is amazing. Uh, 19th of July, Sunday, 19th of July. Now, there will still be some restrictions involved with that. And, uh, and so we're gonna do our four services, 8 a.m., 10 a.m., 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. Uh, and you'll have to, during the week, you can book in for those services. Now, it sounds crazy, doesn't it? You've got to book in for church. This is the world we're in at the moment. Um, but we just wanna make sure that we uh, uh, got the right amount of people in the room. We'll be able to fit in around 250 people, including a family service in A2. And so you'll be able to book in for those services. And I do just wanna say, it'd be so helpful if you wanna come to a service, if you can book in for just one service on Sunday. Um, we'll still have our online services running, so you're so welcome to watch uh, those as well. And. Uh, uh, it'll be so good to have you here in person. So that's the 19th of July, just two weeks time, which is really, really exciting. And I do wanna say, if you wanna book in, you can do it online, which would be really, really helpful. Now, the other thing is as well, we did a little while ago, a Unify Zoom service, everyone together. We're gonna do another one of those. It's actually this Thursday night. So if you wanna join us for that, you're welcome to. Everyone's uh, welcome to join us for that. 7.30 till 8.30, a one hour service. And it's a great service because we're gonna be sharing um, some really specific things that are coming up, some visions for us as a church on that night as well. So come online, uh, you can uh, jump online to see the details of that Zoom link or social media as well. And it'd be really great to see you there for that. Now, uh, it's holidays times at the moment, so no switch at the moment. Young Aid Connect Groups are still running. If you'd like to jump into Young Aid Connect Group, we'd love to link you into one. And uh, in a couple of weeks time, we'll be meeting here. For some of our Connect Groups, we'll be meeting on the property as well, which is really, really exciting. Uh, that's all there is to mention. So we're gonna pray, we're gonna continue in our service and we're gonna hear from God's Word in just a moment as well. So why don't you join with me and we'll pray together now. Father, we just thank You so much for uh, all that You're doing in and through people's lives. And uh, constantly there are story after story of lives that are being impacted. And we know this is at the centre of Your heart. You love people, Lord. You love Your own children and You long to uh, um, provide purpose and hope to our lives, great God. You're a gracious God and we thank You so much. We do continue to pray that You would lead us as a church and guide us. And for every single person that's watching now and listening, I pray, God, that we would continue to surrender our hearts and lives to You, to be used by You day in, day out, to have an impact on the lives around us, a positive and profound impact. So we just thank You, Lord. We continue to surrender our lives to You and we ask that You would lead us and guide us and give us the uh, boldness 
to be obedient to you, we really do pray. So we thank you, Lord. We continue to praise and honour you now in Jesus' Name. Amen. Well, Father, we thank you. It's been so good to worship you now and we look forward to hearing from your Word uh, right now in Jesus' mighty Name. Amen. Amen. It's a real privilege and honour to introduce Jodie to you as she comes to bring God's Word. Uh, we are in a series at the moment in Revelation and uh, we look forward to hearing from Jodie right now. Thanks so much, Jodie. Welcome everyone and thank you for joining us tonight. We are in week three of a series in the book of Revelation, the very last book in the New Testament. And we are looking specifically at Jesus' word to his church, these seven churches that are represented here. And tonight we are going to look at what he says to the church in Pergamum. So open your Bibles if you have them there with you. And we are going to read together from Revelations chapter 2, verse 12 to 17. The message to the church in Pergamum. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refused to deny me, even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone. And on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Lord, this is your word to us tonight and I pray that you'd speak to us through it. May, may we have ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you think of when you hear the word revelation? Have you ever had a revelation of some kind? Maybe you had a secret crush on someone and then you found out that they actually liked you back. That changes everything. Maybe you um, did one of those personality profiles once and you found out something about yourself that explained so much of why you react or respond in a certain way. Maybe you've had a tough conversation or a conflict with someone and things came out that you just had no idea about. Just last week, um, some of the pastoral team had a chance to sit down with some of the Dion crew and just listen and, and seek to understand what our brothers and sisters are experiencing as Aboriginal people in our community in the midst of the heightened crisis of racial discrimination that we're seeing across the globe. It was a revelation to me. I was moved to tears to hear something of what our brothers and sisters carry. Have you ever had a revelation of God's love? 
I distinctly remember a time when God spoke to me, freed me from a deep insecurity that I held that I would never be enough for him. And with tears everywhere, he brought a healing to my heart, a life-changing revelation for me. You know, God had always loved me. But in that moment, I saw it. I grasped it in a new way. And his love became real and, and powerful for me ever since that time. And I think when it comes to this book of Revelation, something similar happens here. It's, it's a picture of a reality that we don't yet have the spiritual eyes and understanding to see. But in revealing this mystery to us and in grasping the picture of what is being unveiled to us in this book, everything changes. The Apostle John receives this incredible vision. And it really is like the curtains in heaven are pulled back. We don't realize what's going up on up there because we're so caught up in what's happening down here and the circumstances around us. And here God pulls back that curtain for us to get a glimpse into a heavenly reality, a perspective from heaven that is taking place. And here's John, probably the person who was closest to Jesus in his life here on earth. And yet there's nothing human about Jesus' description here or John's description of Jesus here. This revelation is not of Jesus' humanity. We can read about that in the Gospels. This is his divinity unveiled. The glorified Savior, King and Lord. Chapter 1 begins with this heaven opening, revealing Jesus. The one who is beyond time. Who holds all power and authority. John almost doesn't have words to express the awe and wonder that he's seeing in Jesus here. Listen to these words in, if you flick back to chapter 1, verse 14. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was shining like the sun, the full brightness of the sun. Jesus' divinity is unveiled here. And this revelation comes at the end of the first century AD at a time when being a follower of Jesus was costly. This revelation couldn't have come at a better time for the followers of Jesus. Here in Pergamum, it's arguably more costly to be a follower of Jesus than in any of the other places in the world at that time. The everyday culture of this city is so tied to a religion of idol worship with a lifestyle so contrary to Jesus' way that a decision to live for Jesus meant a radical and complete life change. It meant persecution. It meant ostracism socially. There were financial consequences for people who took a stand for Jesus. Some people were even martyred 
for holding on to their faith. If you're a believer, you may well have been wondering at this time, well, if Jesus is Lord, where is he? What is he doing? Why doesn't he come here? And then God reveals it. In this revelation, Jesus is not distant or far away. He hasn't forgotten his people. He hasn't relinquished his victory over Satan. Here is the unveiling of the parallel reality of what is going on in heaven right alongside what is happening on earth. A revelation of a reality that is what we've been holding on to in faith, what these believers have been holding on to and hoping for in faith. But here is the assurance of the reality that is really taking place. There is something else that we see as this curtain on heaven is pulled back and that is Jesus' heart for his church. The church is a tangible expression of Jesus himself, his kingdom, his work and rule on the earth. He is working out his plans and purposes through his church in the world. He holds it in his right hand. The right hand is a symbol for that royal expression of power and authority. John describes the church as a lampstand. Trav talked about this last week, bearing God's light into the world, shining into the darkness. And Jesus, we read in chapter one, is the, the very one tending the lamp, looking after it, caring for it, ensuring the light can shine. This revelation was written to the seven churches in Asia and seven is a symbolic number in Jewish tradition. It means complete. And this message to the churches in its entirety is a message to the whole church throughout the world, throughout all the ages. And in that sense, it's a message to us as God's people, his church tonight. You know, I think we already knew this, but this COVID season um, has made us very aware again that the church is not a building. The church is God's people, a community of those who are seeking him and following him, pursuing his call, his purpose, his mission. He calls us his body. The very expression of himself in the world is his church. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus didn't leave a manifesto. Jesus didn't even write his own book. He left a community of believers who he had invested into, poured out his heart, poured out his vision for a kingdom. And it was this community of believers that carried his heart, carried his words, carried his deeds for the world to see. We can forget, can't we, in a Western mindset where we tend to individualize and personalize everything, that we are part of something bigger, God's people throughout the world. And, and don't get me wrong here, God is personal. And he reveals, us, reveals himself to us individually on our journey. But I really believe church that we are meant to live out our faith in community this is God's design for us 
There are times when we are called to stand alone, yes, but at our best, we stand together as his people in Jesus. We are the church joined together tonight in a way we didn't even know was possible to be the church. Spread everywhere, throughout the city, even the world. United though by the truth and power and life that is found in Jesus, that he has given to us, that brings us together in him. You know, some of the most powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit for me have been in worshipping with God's people in, in this very place, in his church. Tears and joy um, often go together as we worship and pray, as we share in his word, as our hearts are open to the Holy Spirit, as we welcome and listen and encourage, meet together to spur one another on to love and good deeds, the New Testament tells us to do. You know, all the things that our soul longs for, love, connection, community, purpose, meaning, they're all found in Jesus and life with his people. So we see Jesus in his divinity unveiled here, a picture from heaven of what is going on. We see Jesus' heart for his church coming out in this revelation that God gives to John. And, and key too to understanding what's going on in these letters is, is understanding the relationship that binds God to his people, that binds Jesus to his church. This covenant picture of love that stems right back to the Old Testament, carries right on here to the end of the New Testament and beyond to us today. God's faithful love for his people is a, is a theme that we need to understand. The relationship that God made possible to us started and continues with him extending love and grace. And his greatest desire for his people is for them to be wholehearted in their love and devotion and commitment to him. This is what this picture of covenant love looks like. And he's commending his church here in Pergamum for their faithfulness to this covenant, for remaining loyal to him for holding fast to his name and not denying their faith. Jesus is pleased with them because he more than anyone from the view of heaven that he has knows how hard it has been to do this in the place where they live and the culture that they are. This Pergamum church is being faithful to him right in the place of Satan's throne. Did you hear that in that passage? This city, Jesus says, is where Satan has his throne. And there are a couple of reasons the scholars say, um, a couple of things Jesus could have been alluding to here. You know, this city was the Roman capital of the province of Asia and, and was the center for imperial worship. 
This was a time when people literally went around declaring Caesar is Lord. To deny the emperor, which was Domitian at the time of this letter, um, huge persecutor of the church, but to deny the emperor the title of Caesar is Lord was to do so at great cost. Can you imagine the consequence for these Christians who were declaring Jesus is Lord? You know, in the midst of this imperial power, the, the city's proconsul, the Roman governor representing the emperor in this city of Pergamum had this right of the sword. It was this special power that was bestowed upon him by the emperor. And it meant that he could kill by the sword anyone he chose at will or whim. You know, it's so powerful when we read at the start of that message that Jesus says he is sharper than a two-edged sword. And I think this is a direct statement speaking to Jesus' power and authority over the highest power of the Roman Empire. But the satanic hold does not stop there. Pergamum was home to the temple of Zeus, the father of the ancient gods. In his temple, sacrificial fires burned day and night over the city as a reminder, a constant reminder of this God. Pergamum was famous for another God, Asclepius, a God of healing power. He was represented in the form of a snake, maybe an allusion to Satan that goes back to Genesis there. People would come and visit the temple of Asclepius from all over the world and spend a night in the temple hoping that a snake would crawl over them and bring a cure for their disease. Talk about Satan's throne in this city. There is nothing subtle about the evil taking place here. Following these gods was deeply entrenched in everyday life. Festivals and sacrifices and events in the city were all tied to this idol worship and the evil practices that went with it. It took incredible courage to be a follower of Jesus here. And this revelation of who Jesus is in the midst of this comes as hope and encouragement to keep holding on in the midst of this evil and oppression around them. Jesus knows what they're going through. He knows how tough it is. He sees it all. And it might look like at times Satan has the victory but as we glimpse into heaven, we see the divine Jesus and are reminded of who is actually king. Jesus is Lord and this is truth. It is encouragement to these Christians to hold on, to continue to be this faithful witness to the truth that has been revealed to them. You know, I wonder in your situation and circumstance what, what your greatest challenge is right now to living as a faithful witness to Jesus. What's your weakness? What temptation wears you down, distracts you from the truth of who Jesus is? What is hard for you when it comes to being loyal to Jesus? Some of you live with the fear of being rejected by family or friends or colleagues. 
Maybe it's a concern about not seeming intelligent or sounding rational when you talk about Jesus and faith. Is it the cost or sacrifice of time or money or a relationship in your life? Maybe other priorities, goals and dreams that seem too important to give up for God. Is it a lifestyle choice that you don't wanna let go of? Is it a fear of what God will ask you to do if you choose to stand for him? You know, if we were able to measure any of these things that pull us away from the truth of who Jesus is, if we're able to measure them against the eternal value of the kingdom of God and the life that Jesus gives to us and has for us, you know, it would not even come close. This revelation speaks right into the battle we have where the pull of the world makes standing for the truth we know really hard. But if we could just ourselves capture that glimpse of heaven, if we could see life for eternity, we would see that the battle is already won. Jesus is is victory and has given us victory as we hold firm and fast in him. As Jesus is commending his people here, in his truth, he also has a warning for them. Hebrews 4 talks about God's word being alive and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. That reference again, God's word reveals truth. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. In truth, Jesus sees to the very heart of what is going on right here in his church. He sees what's not right. And in love and just, and the love and justice of his rule, he can't overlook it. He can't turn a blind eye to it. He gives them a warning here. And the warning is not to compromise the life and truth that they've been called to live not to water it down, not to mix it in with the culture around them that says it's okay. You know, it's one thing to stand against the attacks from outside the church, but it is another thing entirely when these threats come from within. It's harder to know how to deal with them. Sin can creep in so subtly but cause just as much damage as attacks from outside. The reference to Balaam and Balak comes from Numbers in the Old Testament. And and you might have heard these characters because there is a famous story about a talking donkey who actually has more insight into what is going on in the spiritual realm than, than this prophet. When Balak, the king of Moab, wanted to curse God's people, he paid the prophet Balaam to come and do it. But when it came to actually speaking out the curse, only blessing would come out of his mouth for God's people. You know, in direct confrontation, he could not stand against God's people. And then he found another way, a more subtle way to divide them, to pull them away from the things of God. These Moabites invited some of the men to a party, a feast. It seemed innocent enough but they didn't know and when they were invited that the feast involved idol worship, that there was sexual sin that went along with that idol worship and God's people were pulled away. 
the Nicolaitans were a group also in the church who came up with this idea that if Jesus died for our sin, it didn't matter how we lived. It didn't matter how much sin you, you kept on doing because it was already all forgiven by Jesus. Jesus' words to the church are strong here. We cannot turn a blind eye to sin. We cannot pretend this is okay. We can't tolerate sin in the church. And I feel like tolerance is a catch cry of the world, particularly when it comes to the church. In our expression of Jesus to the world, we need to show grace and somehow also stand for truth. And I don't know all the answers here, but Jesus does. But notice here in this warning, in this letter, Jesus is speaking to the church. He is speaking to the followers of Jesus who are compromising their faith and mixing it in with what the culture says is okay around them. Jesus has revealed his truth to us. And as his people, we need to seek God's word and listen to his spirit and ask him to show us how we're meant to stand together in this culture, in this city, to encourage one another to resist sin, resist the enticement of the world to go against God's way. And together as God's people, he's calling us to hold fast again to him, to live faithfully to him. God is calling his people to wholeness as he is refining us to reflect his holiness. And it is in this relationship of this covenant relationship that he does that in that binding of love between Jesus and his people, he's not gonna leave or walk away. He might have to come and sort things out and he talks about doing that if this doesn't change. But he gives, always gives an opportunity to set things right, to get back on track. Repentance is the humbling of ourselves to the Spirit's prompting to turn away from our sin and turn back to God's way. The call to repent here reflects God's heart is always for relationship. This is not condemnation. This is a pathway to restoration. Even in this vision of Jesus in chapter one, King Jesus is the one who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. His motivation is always love. He corrects and disciplines and calls us to accountability because he cares deeply about our relationship with him. We are God's people. We need to remember that, capture that again. We are God's people. We are the expression of Jesus, the tangible expression of Jesus in our community and Jesus is calling us to faithfulness to him, to hold fast to his name, not to water down or compromise his truth, but to continue, to continue to walk in relationship with him, to continue to shine his light in our city and community to be the expression of his truth in our homes and in our workplaces and in our community. 
can I say as a leader in this place, if you have been hurt or wronged by the church, I am deeply sorry. Jesus sees you. He sees your heart. He knows what you've been through and he's not ignorant to it. He's not sweeping it under the carpet. This revelation goes on to reveal that our King Jesus is working to bring his justice and to make all things right and new. Hear that tonight. You know, during um, this COVID season, more than a few people have been um, wondering if we are getting closer to Jesus' return. And I don't know if COVID is a sign that we can read into some of these events in the book of Revelation, but I know one thing, that we are closer today than we were yesterday to Jesus coming back. Because he is coming back, church. And we get a glimpse of Jesus' glory from John's revelation. And one day that will be a reality that we live in and see all the time. There is a day coming where every eye will see this. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And until then, Jesus is calling his church to be loyal and faithful, to hold on to his name, to stand firm in his truth. Jesus finishes this letter to the church in Pergamum with a promise to those who live in this victory of standing fast in Jesus. In verse 17 there it says, to everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna which has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who received it. And you know, as I was researching what these things actually mean, no one really knows. We could take some guesses here and references to other parts of the Bible, but the scholars really don't know, can't pinpoint what these things are pointing to. And I think this is the part of the, the mystery of heaven, which is so amazing. It's like a surprise that you know is coming and you can't wait to find out what it is. We are meant to live every day faithful to Jesus. Faithful in our witness of doing life in relationship with him and eagerly anticipating what awaits us in heaven because it is far beyond what we can fathom. It will far outweigh our suffering and sacrificing now. Keep reading Revelation if you need some more encouragement to hold on. Right after these letters to the church, John tries to put words to what he sees as the throne of God. Worth reading in chapter four. The promise of blessing given right at the start to those who read this book is the deep assurance that what we hold on to now in faith is a reality and will one day be our living reality as God's people. For us as God's church at Bridgie, just a part of his church across the globe, we wanna be faithful. We wanna turn to him again, hear his spirit, know his word, not just be hearers, but responders 
to what He calls us to, wholehearted in our love and devotion to Him, to hold nothing back in being a faithful witness to Jesus in our community, in our city. This isn't just the job of a few people in our church. This is for all of us. Every one of us has a part in this kingdom so that everyone, everywhere, right across this world would come to know and see and taste of the love of Jesus for themselves. Church, as we come to worship again tonight, I just wanna pray. I wanna encourage you in this message. And if God is in love, putting his hand on your shoulder and pointing you to an area of life that he's calling you to repent from and turn back to him, then hear his word tonight. Know his grace again in a fresh way. Know his incredible love for you. Know the depths of love in relationship with him that he is calling you to again, that he's calling us as his people to again as we hear his word tonight. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this word. We thank you for that revelation, that picture of you in the heavenly realm. You are Lord, you are King, you're our Saviour. We cannot fathom your greatness tonight, God. And we stand as your people together, hearers of your word tonight, and and we soak in your love, in that beautiful relationship that you've called us to. Help us to be faithful to you, God. Help us to hear your word and respond to it. Help us to be your tangible expression in our city, in our community, in our homes and workplaces, God. And we pray that you'd find us a faithful people when you return. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together our awesome and great God. Thank you, church. Thank you, Father, that your love pursues us and runs so deep, great God, that you love us so much. And uh, thank you for your word tonight as well, great God. We love you and honour you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us for our service tonight. If you were impacted in some way or another, if you'd like to find out more, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to email through to hello at bridgman.org.au. But have an amazing week. May God use you this week. And we look forward to seeing you next, next Sunday. Thanks heaps. Well, it's been great to join together today. You've sensed God speaking to you across this service and you'd like to know a little bit more about what that might mean for you. We'd love to connect with you and you can email hello at bridgman.org.au and someone will get in touch with you. Or again, if you have a need in your life, we as a church would love to stand with you in that by prayer. You can email a request for prayer through to prayer at bridgman.org.au. It's been great to connect with you here today and we look forward to doing that again shortly.